How's everybody doing? Are we okay? Okay, awesome, man. Uh, we're going to dive in. If you've got a Bible with you, start finding Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, that's way back in the Old Testament. And if you need to look at the table of contents, find a page number, nobody's going to be mad at you. Um, I want to frame up a couple of things, and, and I think it's really beautiful to get to be with you today in the midst of this transition, because transitions are moments, right? Transitions are moments where we get to think about ordering our life around what's beautiful and what's valuable. So in the moment of a new baby being brought home, in the moment of moving from singleness to marriage, or going through the pain of losing a spouse, in good transitions and painful transitions, the thing that sort of hangs over our head is, how am I going to frame up my life around what's beautiful and around what's valuable? Well, today we get to do that individually, but we get to do that together. This is a moment as we move into this building where we get to think deeply about what does it mean to be a church that's in the city and that's for the city. Are, are you tracking with me? And so if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or if you're here today and your church experience has been really painful and you came in here feeling a little banged up and a little skeptical, maybe a little bit cynical, if you came in here from one of those places, I, I guarantee you that part of your view of God has been shaped by your view of the church. Does that make sense? So if your experience of the church has been really painful, has been really negative, if you've seen the church as being irrelevant to the suffering and pain of the world, of course, by default, you're going to project that on the God that those churches claim to be representing. So if you're here today and that's your story, for you to get to know Jesus and what he's like, for you to get to know the Father and what he's like, you need to take a look at what his heart is for the church. What his vision for the church is will reflect directly on who he is and how he wants to relate to you. Are, are you tracking with me? So if that's you today, we're really glad you're here. If you're a Christian today or if you're a part of Frontline Church, like it would be ridiculous if we gathered together week in and week out and we didn't do the hard work to say, why the heck are we doing this? Amen? Like, if we don't have an answer to why we're doing this, let's call it a day and go eat brunch because we're wasting each other's time. So in Jeremiah chapter 29, there's this beautiful moment in which the God of the universe sketches out some of his hopes and dreams for his people and how his people are to relate to their city. Now, here, here's what I want you to see. Historically, there's been a couple of really jacked up ways that the church is related to the city. Uh, one jacked up way is that often the church is just against the city, against the city. Meaning, instead of being a church that's in the city and for the city, churches that are against the city are terrified that the sin of the city is going to get on them and affect them. So here's what churches that are against the city do. They build sometimes literal, always metaphorical moats around the church. And the only way they engage the city is to occasionally lob a mortar shell over the walls. Are, are, are you tracking with me? So if you go back to the early days of Christianity, there were some people that loved Jesus. They wanted to take his commands to live holy lives seriously. And they saw how corrupt and sinful the city was. So they thought that their only option would be to go out of the city into the wilderness and build these desert communities so that the city wouldn't get on them. 
Now, that may be an extreme example. Um, there's not a ton of churches in our city that are like churning their own butter or making their own dresses, right? Like there are those guys out there. You can find them if you Google them. Uh, but there's still churches in OKC that their only relationship to the city is one of anger and one of fear. Anger and fear. Now, there's another way to go. Sometimes churches are not against the city. Sometimes churches are over here, and they're just like the city. They're just like the city. And here, here's what I mean. Churches that are just like the city breathe in the values and the gods that the city worships. The gods of money and the gods of family and the gods of pleasure and the gods of career and the gods of self Churches that are just like the city, they just drink the cocktail that the city's serving. They don't discern what's beautiful from what's ugly, and they drink all of the culture of the city. And here's what happens. Over time, they lose their distinction as the people of God as they stop repenting. They become no different than the city in their sexual ethics. They become no different than the city in the way that they handle their money, their checkbooks, Husbands in the church are no different in their care for their wives than husbands in the city. Now, here, here's what I want you to see. In Jeremiah chapter 29, God's vision for the church, his vision for you and me, the thing that you get invited into through Jesus is not to be a church against the city over here that's just angry and freaked out that the city's gonna affect you and corrupt your kids and it's gonna destroy your life, so you've gotta withdraw. And God's vision is not that we would be a church over here that would be indistinct from the city that stops repenting and stops hating sin and stops loving Jesus. God's vision is something totally, radically different. And it's not just the middle ground, right? It's not like God says, cut the difference, kind of hate the city, kind of be like the city. God's vision for your life and my life as his people is so beautiful and compelling that it actually answers some of the questions about why you have breath in your lungs today. There's an invitation from God to you and to me to be a part of something that's bigger and more beautiful, that's gonna outlast your earthly life on this planet and that vision is to be a church for the city. Now look around this room, like this building is a blessing, man, like that God would let us buy a building and invest in this resource to have multiple generations love Jesus, that's beautiful, but if we don't have God's heart for the city, this building is gonna do nothing to actually advance the mission of God. This building can be a tool or it can be a problem depending on whether or not we pick up God's dream for how we relate to South OKC and Moore and Norman and the surrounding region. So here we go, Jeremiah chapter 29. What does it look like to be a church in the city and for the city? Let me read this and then I'll explain what's happening here. Starting in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters away in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Here's what's happening in this crazy text. The old covenant people of God, which is beautiful to study and look at because their lives were recorded to inform the people of Jesus of God's relationship with us. The old covenant people of God, the children of Israel, have been taken from Jerusalem and they've been exiled to the belly of the beast, the heart of the Babylonian empire, the biggest, baddest, most wicked city on planet earth, Babylon itself. And they're trying to figure out how do we do life in Babylon and get this, the Babylonians are saying to the Israelites, you need to be just like the city. Here's the gods that we worship. Here's the values that we have as a city. Here's what we think is important and beautiful and we want you to drink our culture in without discerning where does culture violate the dreams and heart of God. And at the same time, the religious leaders in the covenant community, the priests of Israel, they're telling the children of Israel, we're going to be in the city, but we're going to be completely separate from it. We're going to have our own culture. We're not going to invest our lives here. We're not going to work for the good of the city. We hate the city. We want nothing to do with the city. And in the midst of those two camps, the option to be in the city and just like it and the option to be in the city and against it, God says something beautiful to his people. I put you here so that you could work for the welfare of Babylon itself so that my kingdom can expand and grow. So in this text, like I want to pull out three things that I think will profoundly shape our view of the city as we live lives in South OKC, Moore and Norman, as we use this building not as a tool to retreat from our neighbors, but as a tool to love our neighbors. Three things. Uh, follow with me in the text. Number one, to be a church for the city is to live where God's placed you as elect exiles, elect exiles. Elect simply means chosen and loved. Exile means sent from God to be where he wants you. Now look at this in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent from exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what's happening here. Two things that are really important. Here's what God doesn't do. God doesn't say, all right, church, Here's the list of 45 things that you need to do for the city. Here's the programs for the poor. Here's the programs for evangelism. Here's the way in which I want you to do a marketing plan to reach people that are far from me. Here's all the busy activities of being my people. Now go get after it. Here's what God starts with. He starts with their identity. He says, I'm the Lord of hosts. That's who I am. And you're my people. I'm your God. I'm the God of Israel. Now, this is really profound and important because if we're going to love and serve our city, the city is promising to answer the identity question every single day. Here's what the city says. The city says, if you want to figure out who you are and what the good life is, if you want to know what's beautiful and valuable, 
if you want to make the ache of your soul go away, here's all the things that we offer in the city as possible solutions. The city says, your identity should be in your career, right? So put all your eggs in the career basket, and if you get to the pinnacle of success, the identity question will be answered. You'll know who you are and why you have breath in your lungs, the purpose of life. The city says that family is the answer to the identity question, right? Like you hear that message all the time. If you're single and you've been around the church for like five minutes, here's what you know. Often the church breathes in the culture of the world and the church says to singles, your life doesn't actually start till you get married. So identity is not found in God. Identity is found in finding a spouse or in having children or in being the perfect mommy or the perfect daddy. And and now we have like the nuclear arms race of mommy blog culture that just makes moms feel like dirt if they're not crafting at like varsity level every single day of the week and growing their own organic spinach. Like if your kid's not reading Latin by the time he's four, you're a loser. What is that? That's the city saying if you want to answer the identity question, go to family. The city says, answer the identity question in your sexuality, in your sexual identity, in your sexual desires. That'll answer who you are. The city says money will answer who you are. The city says all of these things that are shining and glittering can get to the deepest ache of your soul and tell you who you are. But here's the truth. The city is lying to you. The city is lying to you. And so in the midst of all those voices in Babylon, when God wants his people to be in the city and for the city, he starts by reminding them, hey, you know what? Your identity is not who you feel you are. It's not even what you think you are. Your identity is not what people tell you you are. Your identity is not what you think about yourself or feel about yourself or your successes or failures. Here's your identity. You're my people. What does it mean to be the children of Israel in the Old Testament? It means they weren't God's people because they were the best or the brightest or the most powerful. In fact, God says again and again, you weren't the most numerous people. You weren't the richest. You weren't the best. I didn't choose you and make you mine because you were so awesome. I needed you on my squad. I came after you in love. That's what it means to be elect. It means chosen by God's mercy. Here's what God's saying to you and me in this text. Here's what he's saying. If you're gonna love this city well with your job, in your family, in your stage of life, married or single, if you're gonna be a missionary to the city, you can't have the city tell you who you are. You've gotta have Jesus tell you who you are. Here's what he says. If your faith is in Jesus, no matter what's going on in your life today, and I know there's so much chaos in this room, no matter what chaotic stuff is happening in your life, no matter what losses are happening in your life or successes, those things don't define you. Here's what defines you. The love of God in Christ in which you're declared chosen, accepted, forgiven, adopted, beloved. How do we love the city? Well, it starts with figuring out who the heck we are. And then it moves from that to seeing that as an elect exile, you're not only God's because he loves you, but you are where you are because he loves the world. Here's what God says. I am the one that sent you into exile in Babylon. Now, think of all the things God could have emphasized. He could have said, hey, but, hey uh, Israel, 
you're in Babylon because you made a series of bad choices and I had to judge you. That would be true. He could have told Israel, you're in Babylon because King Nebuchadnezzar is building an empire and he strategized about taking over Jerusalem. You're there because he wants the best and the brightest of every people he conquers to get exported to Babylon to build his empire and his brand. That would also be true. But God doesn't say that. Here's what God says. In the midst of all your human choices, there's a higher and bigger reality and that's this. I'm the one that sent you into exile. I'm the one that planted you in Babylon for my purposes and for my reasons. So what does this mean? Look, look, look at me. Like You're never going to love your city if you're always fantasizing about a different city. You're never going to love your neighbors if you're always dreaming of a better neighborhood. You're never going to go to work with joy in your soul And you're never going to be able to do your best and be light and salt where you work if you're always dreaming of a better, different job. Here's what God is saying, and this is not just here, it's all over the Bible. It's Acts 17, it's Romans chapter 8, all over Scripture. Here's what it says The time that you were born in is not an accident. The neighborhood that you live in is not an accident. The job that you have is not an accident. The city that you live in is not an accident. All of these things are ordained and orchestrated by the sovereign living God so that as his people, you could shine the light of his love and grace where he's planted you and placed you. Hey friends, track with me on this. It's not sinful to want to eventually move into a bigger house and have room for your kids. That's not sinful necessarily. It's not sinful to say, hey man, like I actually am working towards a better job. I don't want to work this job for the rest of my life. I think there's more that I could do. That's not a bad desire. It's not wrong to have some ambitions. Here's what is profoundly wrong though. Overlooking the moment that you're in right now for a different moment and missing the mission that God has for you right here and right now. Hey, there are neighbors on your block that God has sent you to. There are coworkers that God has sent you to. If you're a mom and you have little kids and you're all angsty about, when does my ministry start? Like, I just can't do all the stuff I want to do. Guess what? Your kids' playmates have parents that God has sent you to in addition to sending you to your little kids to evangelize them because that's where evangelism starts, Right? God in his love and God in his mercy, hear me, he's involved in your marital status today, believe it or not. He's involved. He's involved in it, man. He's involved in your career. If you're a barista or you're a doctor, God's in the mix of that career so that you could be salt and light where he's placed you. So listen, to be a church for the city starts with identity in God, not the city. And it starts with realizing that if your identity's in God, he's the one ordering your steps and planting you where he wants you to be. This leads us to the second thing. To be a church for the city is to work for the shalom of that city. It's to work for the shalom of that city. Let me read this to you. And and I want to point out that this is actually one of the most shocking verses in the entire Bible. Here's what it says, verse 7. Seek the welfare, that word literally means shalom, of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, 
in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Okay, look, look right here. Some of you are thinking, there are way more shocking verses in the Bible than this. Right? There are some verses in the Bible where you read them and you're like, what? Why is that there? Okay, l- let me tell you why this verse is in the top five most scandalous list of all verses in the Bible for two reasons. When you see just how big and how broad God's vision of shalom is, it will blow your hair back and your jaw will drop. Here's what God means when he says shalom. Shalom is not just one or two little facets of our spirituality. That word welfare that comes from the word shalom is this biblical idea that's so big and broad, it touches every facet of life and culture so that men and women can thrive under God and thrive with one another. Here's what shalom includes. Like, think about all this. Shalom includes our right relationship with God, to be with him and to know him and to live in his love and to love God and worship him, not worship stuff that he made. That's part of shalom. But shalom is also the social. Shalom is having a relationship, relationships that are formed by God's mercy and grace. Shalom is... Shalom is, if you're married, having a sense of Christ between you and your spouse. Shalom is culture, meaning God wants culture to thrive and flourish and highlight the beauty of God, not the corruption of sin. Shalom includes the economic and the physical. Here's what it means. To work for the shalom of Oklahoma City definitely includes evangelizing people. Because there can be no shalom if we're not right with God. There is no peace if the Prince of Peace is not, is not the king of your life. There will be no peace. So it's telling people about Jesus, telling people our stories of faith. But it's not just that, because here's what's crazy. God's vision of shalom includes the soul of the single mom being rooted and grounded in God's love, but it also includes her having the resources to put food in her kids' bellies when they go to bed at night. God's version of shalom is that he wants the kids on the playground to know and love him so that they don't experience separation from the living God who is life, but it also includes those kids being safe from drive-bys. God's vision of shalom is knowing how to pray and commune with God, but it also includes knowing how to commune with your neighbor. God's shalom is receiving forgiveness of our sins in Jesus, but it's also working to heal the racial barriers and wounds that 300 years of systemic racism have brought into our nation. Working for shalom It includes breathing in the love of God on Sunday morning, but it also includes using your money and your resources to worship God and to advance his mission, not to build a kingdom of self where you sit on the throne. So when you read this, that God wants them to seek shalom of the city, that should be like, oh man, God's vision and God's mission is so big, it includes evangelism and justice and relationships and stewardship of creation. God wants peace. Now, here's the second thing that should blow your mind about this verse. What city are these people specifically told to seek that high and deep, wide and broad shalom for? What city? Yeah, Babylon. Now, 
if, if you're just reading this like with a churchy lens, you're probably like, oh yeah, we're going to seek the peace of Babylon. When you read that God wants his people to seek the welfare, the shalom of Babylon, you should be like, oh my gosh, that is scandalous. See, Babylon is not just a particular city in the Old Testament. Babylon was almost an archetype of everything that can be wrong in a city. Babylon was a city full of injustice and violence. Babylon was a city where sexual oppression and sexual victimization was rampant. Like, it was a place of sexual immorality, sexual violence. Babylon was a city where every god except the god that is the one true god was worshipped. Babylon was a city of greed. It was a city of all kinds of evil. Babylon was really sinful. Here's what the point is. God's not saying, seek the welfare of Mayberry because I really like quiet, idyllic parts of human society. Here's what God is saying. In the belly of the beast, the most wicked city on the planet, where the darkest night has fallen, that's where I want my light to shine. Live for my glory in the difficult places that I've planted you. See, listen, if it blows your mind that God wants us to seek the shalom of the hard parts of our city, then maybe you're starting to forget what the gospel of Jesus even is. Because what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is he left a really good neighborhood, heaven, and he stepped into Babylon, human society, human culture that's full of our sin and full of our evil. He stepped into it to shine his light and to bring peace, shalom, between man and God and man and man in the midst of this broken world in which we live. Hey, I just wonder, for Frontline Church South OKC, I just wonder if we're maybe in danger of receiving the rebuke that Jonah received. Because Jonah got sent to this really evil city, a lot like Babylon, it was called Nineveh. And Jonah gets to Nineveh and he's preaching the gospel there and he's kind of hoping people don't actually come to faith in God and repent. And despite Jonah's terrible preaching, which is like he preaches the worst sermons in the whole Old Testament, he's like not even in, he's just like, repent, God's gonna kill you, I'm out, peace. Despite his terrible preaching, God's like, you know what, I'm gonna save a bunch of people. He brings revival. The whole city repents. And Jonah is furious. He's like, I knew you were going to do that. I knew that you're slow to anger and rich in mercy. I knew that you were going to mess things up and save this ethnic group I don't love, this people group I don't care about. I knew you were going to do something like that. And God says something crazy to Jonah. Here's what he says. Jonah, should I not have compassion on a city of over 100,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left and even much cattle? Here's what God's saying. You don't even get my heart, Jonah. My prayer for Frontline South is that we would be a people who actually receive and embody the heart of the living God for South Oklahoma City. The heart of the living God for more Oklahoma. The heart of the living God for Norman. What does God feel for our cities? He feels compassion. He feels zeal to bring reconciliation. He feels 
love and care for those that haven't heard about Jesus. He feels desire in his soul for people that are dead in religion to actually know the grace of the gospel. He loves our city. He loves our city. We want to be a church that's not just in the city, against the city, or in the city and like the city. We want to be a church that's in the city with the love of God moving through us for our city. Now, how does that happen? Well, in this text, he gives us three ways. I'm not going to preach them. I'll just list them. Here's how they're to seek the peace of their city. Through their jobs. (laughs) He says, plant gardens, eat their produce, build houses. What is he saying? All of life is spiritual and matters to me, even the parts that you think are just vocational. They're your jobs. They're your job. Work for the welfare of the city. If you hang drywall, don't think, oh man, I don't have a ministry job like Josh or Sean. Bull. If you hang drywall, you hang drywall to the glory of God and the blessing of your neighbor, and you do it as a light and as a witness to your coworkers. That's seeking the welfare of your city. If you're a social worker, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, a doctor, a nurse, a cop, whatever your job is, that job is holy to God, and you're to do it as an act of worship and an act of service for your neighbor that's seeking the welfare of your city. Secondly, we seek the welfare of our city through multiplication. God says, don't decrease in Babylon, multiply. Now, for them, that was procreation. They were going to multiply through having more kids. Uh, For the church of Jesus, it includes discipling our children, but it's so much bigger than that for married people and single people, for people that can have kids and people that can't have bio kids. All Christians are called to do the work of multiplication in Babylon by telling our friends about Jesus. Hey, listen. If we didn't do anything else in this season of the life of our church in Frontline South, here, here would be my one request. If, this, if there was one thing that we were going to do, here's what I would say. Don't go another week if you're a Christian without finding a non-Christian friend and doing life with them and telling them about Jesus. If every person in our church had at least, let's say three as like a great dream. Let's say if we started by all of us having at least one neighbor, one friend, one coworker that doesn't know Jesus, that you pray for and love and serve and eat with and have into your home and engage, you know what will happen? You know what will happen? We'll multiply in Babylon and not decrease. And then God includes prayer. He says, pray for the city. Hey, you know what? I'm so overwhelmed by, by so many of the injustices happening in our city. Like, did you know that South OKC is one of the leading, it's one of the leading areas in our state for the incarceration of women, and our state leads the world in the incarceration of women. Did you know that? I don't know how to fix that. Like, we can try, we, we, some of you guys need to run for office and engage the system politically. Some of you need to be social workers. Some of you need to work with uh, preschool kids and work for the stabilization of the family. Like, all that's good, but at the end of the day, can we just admit that's such a big, terrible, horrible problem and nobody in this room has a good solution to it? So what do we do? We pray like crazy. God, you can work here. You can move here. Would you, in, would you invade with your grace? So track with me. I'm about to wrap this up. What does it mean to be a church in the city for the city? Well, it starts with finding our identity in God, not the city, chosen and sent. 
And then it moves from there into working for the peace of Babylon. We want to work for the shalom of our city as a church through our jobs and through our evangelism and through our prayer lives. And and then it ends with this. It ends with this. To be a church for the city is to make a long-haul commitment, not a a quarterly sprint. If we're going to be a church for the city, we've got to be in it for the long haul, and the long haul is difficult. Look at where this thing ends in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then the verse that nobody knows the context of that's on multiple Christian bumper stickers and coffee cups. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Let let me end with this. Um, There's this false prophet that God is rebuking named Hananiah. And Hananiah has a whole squad of false teachers, false prophets in this historical moment. And these false prophets, get this, like today, are not false prophets that you can spot because they look terrifying. Like if, you're, if your mental picture of a, fa- of a false prophet is some dude in like a black robe with a pentagram tattoo on his forehead, drinking shots of pigeon blood and like walking around with like a dead chicken in his hand, Look, I mean, false prophets are not usually creepy looking and creepy to engage. Like, false prophets are really subtle. And what false prophets, false teachers usually do is is they tell you half-truths and they tell your flesh what it wants to hear. The false teachers of today, they're not people with chicken blood. They're really winsome bloggers and writers and Christians that are giving you half-truths and telling you what you want to hear. You can follow Jesus and not surrender your sexuality to him. Go for it. You can follow Jesus without that affecting your money. Go for it. You can follow Jesus and experience his grace without ever living a life of repentance. It'll be great. See, here's what Hananiah is doing. He's telling them half-truths like, God's going to take you from Babylon to Jerusalem. Is that true or false? Well, it's true that he's going to do that, but Hananiah is saying he's going to do it in two years. What does God say here? Seventy years. He's telling them what they want to hear in their flesh. They don't want to be in Babylon. They want to be back in Jerusalem. See, the truth is, God is going to finish what he started, and he is going to keep his promises, but, but here's the truth for these people. Both them and their children are going to die in the city of Babylon. It's going to be a long haul difficult mission. Here's what I would say to Frontline South. Hey, don't don't listen to the teachers that tell you that you can follow Jesus without him being your king. Don't do it. Because they're liars. Jesus loves you way too much to let you be your own king. Don't listen to the people that tell you that to be in mission in your city is going to always be celebrated and applauded. It's not true. To care about the things God cares about in this city is going to be costly for people in this church. It's going to cost time. It's going to cost money. It may cost people their lives. 
Don't, don't listen. Don't listen to the voices that tell your flesh what it wants to hear. Let's be different than the city, but let's be for the city as we preach the gospel and use our hands and feet to love and serve our neighbors. And let's do it for the long haul because guess what? Uh, if, if your hope is that Jesus is coming back next weekend so that we don't have work to do, I think you're probably going to be pretty disappointed. I mean, it could happen. But people have been thinking that for 2,000 years now. We don't have to invest in the city. Jesus is going to get us out of here. And Jesus is like, hey, dummy, I put you in the city. I put you in the city to be on mission there, not to help you escape it in your lifetime. Can we stand together? Hey, listen, if you're not a Christian today, or if you've walked away from Jesus, he loves you so much. And the identity he has for you is so much better than money or marriage or sexual desire. It's so much better than having the perfect family. Like, that perfect family doesn't exist. The perfect marriage doesn't exist. The living God knows you and loves you and is pursuing you in Jesus. I want to pray for you. If you would, we just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. If you'd say today, um, I'm, I think I've been far from God for a long time. I've been running. And I want to come home to him. I want to come back to him. If that's you, will you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Thanks, brother. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody here that would say, hey, I, I want to come to Jesus and give my life to Jesus. I want to meet Jesus today. I want to follow him. I want that identity that's in the love of God and I'm tired of trying to find my identity in all the things the city tells me to find it in. I want to surrender to Jesus. I want to meet Jesus. I'm ready to do that today. If that's you, will you raise your hand? Thanks. Everybody with your eyes closed, head bowed. Hey, brother that raised your hand, um, look, look, look right here. Man, thank you, bro. We, we want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. Um, my friend Jojo is going to come to the back and grab you. Would you tell him what's going on in your life and let him love on you? right in the back, man. So just grab him as he walks by. And if you're a Christian today, hey, listen, some of us need to repent for ways in which we're just like the city. And I, I give, and, and I feel like it's sacrificial at times, but I also, I look at my life financially, and I realize how much of the city's culture I've just swallowed whole. You know, like, I realize just how much, man, just how much of the culture that's not good I've accepted instead of rejected. There's so much beauty in culture. Art and music and food and architecture and medicine and education. There's so much beautiful and there's so much that's so vile in culture. We need to be constantly coming back to Jesus to have him rework our hearts and help us repent and love what he loves and hate what he hates.